A very good Monday. Welcome to today's edition of the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm your host, Lori Boyer. In addition to feature agricultural news reports, I'll bring you national and regional agricultural news headlines. And I'll start with regional ag news right after this. This segment is sponsored by Bee Hero, the leading almond pollination provider. Don't leave pollination to chance. Be sure, be precise, be hero. Call Charlie Phillips, VP Sales at 559-467-9699. Be hero, superior bees, superior pollination. After years of drought, California has received an epic amount of rain in 2023. While it was much needed, the back-to-back heavy storms has also ravaged part of the state for several days, creating dangerous flooding and mudslides that have led to at least 20 deaths and billions of dollars in economic losses. But one part of the state is ready for more rain. The Sacramento Valley is the hub of California's rice production, and nearly all the nation's sushi rice comes from California. Growing rice, which is a semi-aquatic plant, requires an abundance of water. During a seed planting and growing season, which runs from March through August, farmers flood rice fields with up to five inches of water. But three consistent years of drought has scorched hundreds of thousands of acres of Sacramento's valley lush green rice paddies to a dry, barren land. With each passing year of drought, reservoir levels have been plunging, dropping to half of their historic averages or even less. State-controlled water allocations to rice farms was no longer guaranteed, and for many of them, it has stopped altogether. Rice production in the Sacramento Valley has thus dropped significantly, according to Tim Johnson, president and CEO of the California Rice Commission, a nonprofit representing over 2,500 rice farmers and handlers in the state. He says this is a make-or-break-it year for many farmers and agribusinesses in the industry. They're really hoping the significant storms they've had since November will make the farm businesses and livelihood of farmers and the rural communities more normal. About 500,000 acres of rice are normally produced in a typical year in the Sacramento Valley. In 2022, it was half the normal planting, according to Johnson. Rice crops contribute as much as $5 billion a year and tens of thousands of jobs to California's economy. Last year, $750 million and more than 5,000 jobs were lost due to the loss in rice farming acres, and its allied activities are stalled, according to the commission. World Ag Expo and EM Tharp Incorporated have teamed up for their 16th annual We Believe in Growing Scholarship supporting area high school students who will be attending four-year universities to major in an agricultural field. This year's winners are Sophia Gomes of Tulare, California, and Caleb Callison of Hanford, California. They will each receive $2,500 scholarships to be renewed up to four years, totaling $10,000 per student. Gomes is a student at Tulare Western High School. She plans to study agriculture communications and leadership at Chico State in the fall. Her long-term goal is to work in producer relations or ag education. Callison is a student at Central Valley Christian High School. He plans to major in agricultural systems management and agriculture systems technology. He's been accepted to Kansas State and will finalize his college plans once he hears from Cal Poly, Fresno State, and Texas A&M. He plans to work in agricultural equipment manufacturing, sales, and service. To be considered for the scholarship, students from across the Central Valley submitted letters of recommendation, high school transcripts, ACT or SAT scores, and must expect to graduate from high school during the 2022 to 2023 school year. The winners were recognized at the World Ag Expo opening and awards ceremonies. One California town recycles 350 million gallons of water through its wastewater reclamation facility to combat the protracted severe drought. Brad Simmons, a retired metal fabricator and Heldsburg, California resident for 57 years, has been able to maintain a large portion of his backyard orchard 
while cutting the city's water use in half since 2020. Heldsburg enjoys the use of free, non-potable water generated by its wastewater reclamation facility, which keeps trees, gardens, and vineyards irrigated. The wastewater recycling plant recycles 350 million gallons, or slightly more than half of the city's annual water consumption, or effluent that is drained and flushed each year. This relieves pressure on local wells and reservoirs while enlisting a large user base to support a conservation ethos. Presently, California treats and recycles about 728,000 acre feet, or about 18% of the wastewater it generates each year, according to Water Reuse. Though the state has higher goals for improving water security, new targets call for a nearly threefold increase to 2 million acre feet annually by the year 2030, as per data from Water Education Foundation. Several sizable projects are in the works, supported by programs like the California Board's Clean Water State Revolving Fund and federal assistance, including a $750 million grant program. For instance, Orange County is increasing the capacity of its potable water purification plant, which is already the biggest in the world, to recycle 130 million gallons of effluent every day to guarantee a sustainable drinking water source for 19 million customers in the Los Angeles region. The Metropolitan Water District of Southern California is considering building a new $3.4 billion recycling facility. Even so, a more modest approach can be equally effective for smaller communities or people who have limited resources, according to Anne Thebo, senior researcher at the Pacific Institute, a nonprofit think tank for water conservation in Oakland, California. According to our research, agricultural communities are in a better position because many types of irrigation don't need recycled water that is safe for consumption. But because of the water used to irrigate trees or lawns can sometimes be of lower quality than water used to irrigate pastures or crops that are suitable for eating like raw strawberries and lettuce, all communities have some latitude in their ability to treat effluent. Diversifying a region's water portfolio and reducing overall demand can be accomplished by creating a water recycling plan that meets the needs of the community. To meet the regulations for environmental discharge into the Russian River, Hellsberg upgraded its wastewater plan in 2008. The $29.3 million upgrade expanded the process to include pathogen filtering membranes as well as UV light in addition to filtration and microbial scrubbing. Regional water authorities restrict discharge to the months of October through mid-May because rain generally increases river volumes and lowers the likelihood of adverse effects. In California, projects for water recycling are primarily driven by the need to manage the quality of wastewater discharge. Community involvement and a residential delivery program are plentiful in Heldsburg, but by extending the list of permitted uses to include commercial orchards, pastures, and non-dairy livestock, the city is adding an extra layer of protection. The city was able to increase the pipe network to reach the town for municipal irrigation thanks to a $7 million state grant. California cotton farmer Aaron Barcelos is part of a small group of U.S. cotton growers capable of producing high-quality Pima cotton used in fine linens and clothing. He's also this year's Farm Progress High Cotton Award winner from the West, part of an elite group of growers from across the cotton belt known for their environmental stewardship and sustainability practices. The practices used to produce high-quality Pima cotton continue to win over the hearts and minds of brand manufacturers, according to reports from Supima, the trade association at Market's premium Pima cotton under the company's licensed trademark. 
Barcelos is a board member of the Arizona-based trade association. Barcelos is a fourth-generation California farmer, but the first to focus on crops not tied to dairy production. He says his dad got out of the dairy business in 1987 during a whole herd dairy buyout program. He said he was getting close to graduating college with an ag business degree and a dairy science minor when all of a sudden he found out they didn't have dairy anymore. Prior to that, the farming done by the Barcelos family centered on producing forage crops for the dairy herd. Upland cotton became the first crop the family planted that did not directly support a livestock operation. The family farm that Barcelos owns in partnership with several family members is called Ag Bar Ag Enterprises. Aaron is a partner in the farming operation with family members. After the dairy sold, the family began to farm upland cotton on the western side of the San Joaquin Valley. Stale prices for commodity cotton in California's ever-tightening regulatory restrictions pushed the family to Pima for its higher prices. His cotton acreage can fluctuate each year as water availability continues to be a premium. In good years, he's grown as much as 2,500 acres of Pima cotton. Ag Bar Ag Enterprises is diversified, growing a handful of row and permanent crops including pistachios, olives for oil, pomegranates, processing tomatoes, garlic, wheat, hay, and melons. He is one of the state's last asparagus growers as foreign competition from Mexico has driven much of the state's asparagus industry to other crops. U.S. Pima cotton is unlike its commodity counterpart in several ways, he says. As for the U.S. Pima cotton, it is unlike its commodity counterpart in several ways, Barcelo says. They're just a small segment of the overall cotton fiber market. They're a long staple fiber that is used for high count linen sheets and high quality dress shirts. The customers are supporting is a different customer. They're going to buy Supima cotton because they want to buy something of value. Pima production for the 2022 season may barely exceed 400,000 bales. This puts it in a specialty crop status. Its specialty uses and demand bolstered its prices in the past couple of years to well above $3 a pound for their growers. Sapima cotton requires that their farmers record vast amounts of data each year. Their crop protection applications are all documented. The products they have today are softer chemistries allowing farmers to target troublesome pests while protecting beneficial insects and bees. Soil and Crop Incorporated is your number one resource for sustainable nutrition. Growers are faced with difficult challenges, and Soil and Crop Inc. has the experience, fertilizer, and biological portfolio to dramatically increase yield and performance in your troubled orchards and fields. Contact Soil and Crop Incorporated today for a free consultation on how we can help reverse the challenges you face as a conventional or organic grower so you can increase your bottom line and become a better sustainable farmer. Contact us today at 559-564-1236 or visit our website at www.callnrg.com. Soil and Crop, putting nature to work for you. Almond Board of California's Almond Leadership Program Class of 2023 has officially been decided. The program is a one-year leadership training that inspires and prepares Almond community members to join a network of leaders meeting the challenges of a changing industry. Participants build relationships with Almond community leaders, develop interpersonal relationship and communication skills, and become prepared to take leadership roles in Almond organizations and the local community. Ultimately, these folks are the future of the almond industry. Two of the program's newest members, Lauren Dutra, an account manager with Series Imaging who grew up in Hanford growing almonds, and Thomas Martin, a regional technical manager with Trace Incorporated who's constantly out in the field working with almonds and almond growers on the pest management side, 
shared thoughts on what they hope to take away from the leadership program. What I'm most excited and most hoping to get out of the program is really just a better understanding of our full industry. So my dad is an almond farmer. I see it from his level. I see what he goes through every day as well as some friends. And then the serious customers that I have that are almond farmers. But what I'm most excited about is seeing an almond's full life cycle. So getting to know everything from all the work that it takes to get a tree into the ground to the marketing and the advertising that it takes to get these almonds across the world and into the hands of consumers. And so it's incredible, all the work that goes into it. And the leadership program has seminars and guest speakers all lined up to help me better understand this whole process. Getting to, to learn about what all the other, all my classmates are doing out in the industry and how it all works together, you know, everything, um, if we can have, you know, great communication between the different aspects of the industry, it only improves everything and is going to help things for the grower, uh, for the processors, for everybody. So just kind of seeing how it works together and learning from the classmates and and using that then to to go forward with the almond industry and see where we can take it um, is, is a really exciting prospect for me. A goal for members of the almond leadership program each year is to decide how they want to make an impact on the future of the almond industry and better it or advance it for future generations. I see myself contributing in one, just being a more well-rounded in the industry itself. So I can go back and I can take it to my almond customers and I can really help them see full picture of what's going on in the industry, regulations and everything like that. So um, my impact can also just be supporting the rest of my classmates. I think that's a big part of why I'm excited as well is to sit with these other 18 incredible individuals and we can support each other throughout the rest of our careers and we can be there. And so one day if Thomas needs something, he can call me and ask and I can try to help him in any way possible. Yeah, and I, I definitely extend the same to you, Lauren, and to, to everyone else in the, the program in the industry. Um, but I, I think that one of the really cool parts about this program as well is that um, we do some fundraising through uh, our different companies, and, and that goes to different scholarships for the FFA for um, all the state of California and then for our local chapters as well. So this program has raised over $200,000 for FFA scholarships over the course of its lifetime. Uh, and we have the bar set pretty high this year for our fundraising goals uh, here in 2023. So that's a huge part, I think, of, of what this program is and really just focusing and talking with everyone and seeing how we can contribute. You know, it, it takes all of us to to do a good job in this industry and, and to work for the growers and everyone involved. So um, that's that's really exciting. The leadership class, the applications it receives each year, and the motivated members like Dutra and Martin speak volumes to the faith that still exists in the industry's success moving forward. People want to see this industry prosper. You know, the more I'm a part of this industry, the, the more you see all the intelligent and capable individuals that we have that are in it as well. Um, and this program is absolutely proof of that. Uh, just, just meeting with this group for a couple uh, sessions has really shown, you know, how much uh, intelligence and how much promise we have in it as an industry going forward. You know, the the strength of our industry is is rising to challenges and and finding innovative ways to to uh, figure out how we can go forward. And so that's really what we're focusing on now. And and yeah, I, I have utmost confidence that we can get it done just through all the conversations that that we've had with all these great people. I think I've got pretty good, strong faith in this industry, just especially in the Almond Board alone and all the work that they've put in to um, providing opportunities to build up this next generation of leaders. There's not a lot of other industries who can say the same, that they've put as many resources backing um, all of us here in the industry. 
And so just the Almond Board has done an incredible job of putting us 18 people all in a room and getting to learn from each other alongside each other. And so I have faith in that and all of us moving forward together. You're listening to My Ag Life. I'm Taylor Jalstrom. Bee Hero is the leading almond pollination provider. We deliver measurable and verifiable pollination outcomes for almond growers and turn a previously unquantified fingers crossed gamble into a controllable expenditure. For the first time, growers can know exactly what they are getting for their money during pollination. Bee Hero accurately evaluates your bees' pollination contribution in real time and gives you unprecedented visibility into the progress of bloom. Don't leave pollination to chance. Be sure, be precise, be hero. Call Charlie Phillips, VP of Sales at 559-467-9699. Be hero, superior bees, superior pollination. Austin Knutson and attorneys general from 23 other states filed a lawsuit against the Biden administration's Waters of the U.S. rule. The groups say the EPA's Waters rule goes beyond the power of Congress delegated in the Clean Water Act, raises serious constitutional concerns, and runs roughshod over the Administrative Procedures Act, according to Knutson. The administrator's water rule limits the use of land and violates the law and U.S. Constitution. The EPA greatly overstepped its authority by trying to claim jurisdiction over land and water not connected to any navigable water, according to Knutson. The attorneys general say they're fighting to protect farm and ranching operations, mining and energy workers, and infrastructure and housing projects across Montana and the entire country that will be harmed if this overreaching and unconstitutional rule takes effect. Montana and other states will motion for a preliminary injunction while it is under litigation. Colorado is not among the 23 states involved in the lawsuit. A top lobbyist for the ethanol industry told Congress that any national clean fuels program should be market-based and technology neutral. Renewable Fuels Association head Jeff Cooper warned the Senate Environment and Public Works Committee against picking winners and losers in any national clean fuel program. In essence, a clean fuels program sets annual greenhouse gas reduction requirements for the transportation sector, and then it allows the marketplace to determine the most efficient and economical ways of achieving those reductions without dictating the use of specific fuels or vehicles. Offering biofuels a level playing field to compete with electric and other vehicles, and all of it being done with corn. Today's corn ethanol already cuts greenhouse gas emissions by approximately 50% on average compared to gasoline. With increased adoption of low-carbon farming practices, carbon capture, utilization, and storage, and other technologies, the U.S. ethanol industry is well on its way to producing net zero carbon corn ethanol. And doing so by 2050 as pledged by RFA's members, but only if there's fairness and carbon footprint standards, reporting improvements, greenhouse gas reduction targets, and cost containments. Cooper also called for continued investment in E15 and E85 infrastructure, a strong RFS, and equitable flex fuel vehicle incentives. I'll leave you with this calendar note. The 31st Annual Colorado Agriculture Forum is coming up at the Westin in Westminster this Thursday. More online at coloradoagforum.com. The Fertilizer Institute released new data highlighting industry improvements and sustainability performance in key priority areas, including workforce safety, energy, the environment, and innovation. 
The industry is continuously working towards more sustainable operations, including efforts to decarbonize and mitigate environmental impacts, according to TFI President and CEO Corey Rosenbush. Report highlights include survey participating, investing an average of more than $1 billion every year in capital investments to help the industry meet sustainability goals. In 2021, the industry captured 31% of all CO2 generated per ton of nutrient produced, an increase of 368% over emissions captured in 2013. To reduce the industry's energy footprint, 39% of all energy consumed is generated using waste heat rather than pulling from the electrical grid. Nitrogen producers recycled enough water to fill 1.6 million Olympic-sized swimming pools. Each step of this supply chain is focused on doing more with fewer resources, according to Rosenbush. USA's first-ever weekly National Hemp Report has been out for a month now, providing that industry with vital market information. USA Ag News reporter Rod Bain. It's one of several ways the Agriculture Department is helping hemp growers understand the economics of this quick-growing industry. We, as the Agricultural Marketing Service, by issuing this weekly hemp market news report, are bringing the hemp industry in alignment with more established traditional ag commodities. AMS's Bill Richmond says the new weekly National Hemp Report, which debuted last month, resembles the hundreds of specific commodity reports issued by USDA Market News. Information currently includes details such as pricing around hemp retail and human food products and imports of hemp materials into the U.S. Feedback continues to be gathered by AMS to approve the National Hemp Report for user benefit. Yet, feedback has been positive. One of the things that we heard very quickly from the industry is that they are excited to have a free, unbiased set of data that they did not have access to before. I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C. Sponsored by the California Walnut Board and Commission. Supporting the industry with on-farm innovation through production research, advocacy for government programs, and driving consumer demand. Doing more together. JCS Marketing is your number one way to connect with the ag industry. Through print magazines, digital media, podcasts, and live and virtual events, JCS Marketing has the reach to inform, educate, and influence growers in the Western United States. Everywhere you go, you see West Coast Nut Magazine on every one of my customers' tables. So that tells you everything. It's there, so they're reading it. Our My Ag Life platform includes podcast interviews and digital articles for busy professionals on the go. Our live events, continuing education webinars, and virtual conferences help growers connect with leading researchers and industry leaders. Let JCS Marketing help you connect. That will wrap up today's show. You've been listening to the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm Lori Boyer. From all of us here at the JCS Marketing Team, thank you for listening. (laughs) 